Welcome to Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Erin Page, and one of our favorite podcast guests is back today. Brittany Keck with Thrive is here to talk about guiding our kids in developing healthy relationships. Thanks so much for being here, Brittany. Thank you. I'm so excited to be back. This is so fun. I always enjoy talking with you, Erin. Same. It's always great to have you. And to remind our listeners, Brittany is the training and capacity building manager for Thrive Sexual Health Collective for Youth. Although I understand the organization is undergoing an exciting rebrand, which we'll dive into a bit later. In addition to being a guest on the podcast, both Brittany and Dr. Raniel Matthews with Thrive wrote a year-long series on talking with kids about sexual health, which our listeners can find at metrofamilymagazine.com. Today, Brittany, we want to get your expert advice on teaching our kids what constitutes healthy relationships, both romantic and platonic, and how we as parents can be the kind of support that our kids need. And first of all, Brittany, when we initially talked about this idea, you were actually in the midst of a conference workshop on rethinking the term healthy relationships to say safe relationships instead. So tell us the difference between those two terms and how this foundation can be helpful for our kids. Yeah, yeah. So oftentimes in my field, my line of work, we hear the term healthy relationships. um, And we're kind of starting to wonder, I'm really starting to wonder, like, what exactly constitutes a healthy relationship? Um, What is healthy to me may not be healthy to you. What my boundaries are, what my experiences, expectations, all of those things are, may not be the same. And and we learn that as adults, that that's, um, that's like, the, the whole premise of dating, right, is figuring out, are we a good match? And what, what do we expect here? And not everybody's on the same page. So, I'm really starting to lead into this idea of safe relationships um, when discussing boundaries um, and relationships and all of these things with young people, um, because that opens the door for us to talk about both physical and emotional boundaries and what we like and don't like and what we feel good about. Um, It tends to put more emphasis on our gut feelings, on our emotions, and really helps us to lay this foundation of consent. Um, What are we feeling? Are we feeling safe? Are we feeling comfortable? Um, and really thinking about that and putting more of that on the person rather than like this whole idea of healthy and what does healthy look like. That is so good. What a great way to kind of reframe that conversation with our kids um, to really talk about what is safe and what isn't when we're looking at relationships. And that's great language from when they're teeny tiny all the way through teenagerhood and beyond. Yeah. Absolutely. I think when we just flip that narrative a little bit to be a safe relationship, we're really lying that foundation um, with them on consent and boundaries and their own autonomy and what they feel good about. So let's talk about that in relationship to when our kids are little. I was thinking back about my own kids. We had this great series of books when they were teeny tiny you know, preschool and younger that talked about safe versus tricky adults. So what are some terms or ways we can help qualify for our young children? What constitutes a safe adult and how to be able to recognize someone who isn't safe? 
I really like that. I don't think I'd ever heard that before. Safe versus tricky. Um, and I do, I really like that. Um, but you know, it's, it's children really need to understand that it's adults jobs. It's our responsibility to help keep them safe. Um, and then talking to them about the characteristics of what is a safe person? What does that look like? Um, do they take care of you? Are they making sure you're safe? Are they helping you? Are they listening to you? Can you trust them? Um, they're not harming you. They're not abusing you, right? They're not putting their hands on you in a way that harms you or makes you feel uncomfortable. So really talking through those characteristics of what is safe, because um, just saying, just like what I was talking about was healthy, just saying, are they a safe person may not really be enough. They maybe need some more tangible, tangible examples of what that can look like, what that can feel like, what their body does when they feel unsafe. Um, and a really good way is to talk about physical safety first. What does your body do when you're physically unsafe? If you feel like you're about to fall, if you um, maybe feel like, imagine like a dog is chasing you, what would that feel like? You know, and your heart, your heart rate would change and you may get hot and you may, you know, your palms may get sweaty and um, you may have this feeling that you just need to run, like go through that, the physical safety and also the emotional safety. Are you having those same feelings Adults shouldn't make you feel that way. And if you're feeling that way, let's let's talk about how you get help. Let's talk about where you go and who you talk to if you're feeling that way. That is so good. I love that. Um, I I remember when I was having this conversation with my kids, one of the things we talked about a lot is that adults don't ask you to keep secrets. Um, and that was really powerful for them. Then of course we had to talk about like, what is a secret versus what is a surprise? Like, <laughs> okay to not tell dad what you got him for his birthday. That's a surprise. That's not a secret. So I think sometimes we kind of shy away from these conversations because we get bogged down in all of this language. And right. so I appreciate you giving us a foundation there to start having those conversations. Um, another thing that my kids still remember from these books is that we would talk about what if you get lost? Like what if we're at Target or we're at the store and you get lost? Um, the advice in this book that we took to heart was look for a mom with kids like that when you're out in public, if you need help from someone, somebody in a uniform that works at the store, or if you can't find that, look for a mom with kids. So I was asking them the other day in preparation for this podcast, and they still remembered, look for a mom with kids. That's so awesome. I've never heard that before. I, I, I need that book series. I haven't even. I know. I'm going to get it that. to you. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a really good tip for, for those situations, for sure. So let's talk now about body boundaries. Um, and when I was thinking about this, again, I was thinking about my kid's pediatrician because he always gives them the same advice from at their well checks from when they were teeny tiny up to now when they're tweens. Um, he always talks about appropriate versus inappropriate touch. And I love that he takes the time to designate, even if somebody is just touching your shoulder in a way that doesn't feel good to you, that feels creepy, that is not appropriate touch. And I think like you mentioned earlier, that distinction is important. The way their own body feels is important to help them understand. So how do we start to teach kids that concept of bodily autonomy starting at a young age? And then how do we continue to talk about this as they get older? I, I really, really love that your pediatrician does that. That's really amazing. Um, and I think it's 
really important to talk about that feeling because you're right. Like it may just be a touch on the shoulder. It could even be a look like they could look at you in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable. And it doesn't even have to be an adult. It can be anybody. Um, and so I really, I really want to lean on that whole idea of safety. Do you feel safe? And it doesn't matter what made you feel unsafe. We need help. We need to talk about this. Um, if it was a, a, a touch or a look or a phrase someone said to you, um, who do we go to? And so I know it may sound kind of silly, but um, with my kiddo, I talk about the ick feeling. Um, and I kind of use that word ick to, to kind of encompass all of that. If you have that ick feeling, if you don't feel right, something didn't set right, something just feels wrong, that's a time we need to get help. Um, and it may not be help from mom, but any other trusted adult, anybody you know around you that you need that you need to talk to right now about this um, or get out of that situation, let's let's take those steps and talk through those strategies of what we can do. Um, it's really important to talk to kids about their intuition because I think that's where a lot of this comes from is, is how do I feel? What's going on um, and what do I do with that feeling? Because I don't think we're taught that a lot. Um, I think a lot of times we're taught, you know, to be polite and to be nice and to be, um, you know, just quiet and just go with the flow. Um, and in these kind of situations, when you have an ick feeling, I'm not really worried about your politeness. I'm not worried about um, you being quiet and you minding and those kind of things. Um, it's okay to follow your gut as long as you feel safe. So let's talk about what we can do and what, you know, what strategies we can use. Um, it's really important that they know too, like what is a safe way to get out of that situation? Mm -hmm. um, because you don't wanna be like at a park and then they feel unsafe, so they run and they run away, right? So we have to talk about where can we go? How do we contact um, a, a trusted adult? If we're old enough, do we have a phone? Is there another mom we can talk to to see if we can you know, get help there? Those kind of things um, to help them come up with safe strategies to get out of their ick feelings. Um, and especially as they get older, because you hear that a lot is, well, I didn't want to be rude. I, I didn't want to hurt their feelings. I didn't want to inconvenience that parent by making them take me home late at night, those kind of things. Um, I'm, we're not worried about that. We're not worried about your politeness and, and your, your etiquette when you have an ick feeling. That's like that we go way beyond that. We break all the rules and we do what we have to do to feel good and safe. Yes. yes. I know. Um, a lot of people use the same strategy, but when my oldest was old enough to get a phone, we talked about, you know, we have like a safe word that she can text us and wherever she is, we will come pick her up or, you know, we'll call the parent that whose family she's with and say, we're coming to get you. Um, and we'll make up a story if we have to about why we're coming to get her. But she knows that it doesn't matter when, where, she can always text us and we'll take the fall. We'll make it look like it's us if she's not yeah. comfortable saying that she doesn't want to be there anymore. Um, and so now my younger two who are not old enough for phones yet are like, what's our safe word going to be? It's a whole, <laughs> it's a whole well, thing you know, about creating it. so funny. I was actually, I, I saw this on a TikTok, um, but there was a mom on TikTok talking about these, these safe words um, that are so important. And as this person's child was younger, they use this word to let them know if this is a safe person. Are they supposed to be picking me up? Are they supposed to be talking to me? Are they, did they, they said they know my mom. Do they really, what's our safe word? So the kids knew it early. 
and they were using the safe word. And then as they got older, that translated into the same thing. And the encouragement was to make sure it's a word that is a common word. It won't sound strange or out of place, um, but also not so common in your day-to-day -day language that you won't pick up on it. And so this person on TikTok that I was listening to, um, their word was banana. And so, yeah, that's a common word. You know, it's, we can, we hear that all the time. Nobody's going to pick up on it. So that way, like if they're in an in-person situation and it's like, hey, can so-and-so spend the night? The kid can turn to mom and be like, oh, mom, I forgot. You told me to tell you to get bananas. Oh, and can I go spend the night? And so the mom now knows, oh, they don't want to do this for whatever reason. It may not be safety. It could be any reason in the world they don't want to. But just like you were saying, now mom can take the fall. Mom can be the bad guy um, and help their, their young person to feel safe and like, you know, trusting and all of, all of those things just by having a simple word, an escape word, because um, I think what they were calling it. But it, it yeah, it can translate forever. You can use it all the time. I love that. Well, we'll be yeah. expanding our safe word usage at my house now. <laughs> I know, I'm thinking through like, what's a word that we can use, you know, things like that um, can really help. Yeah. And also, I mean, I, I can think of a million situations, like if that's just your family word, you know, and you're around other family members or you're in a situation where you're ready to leave, things like that. The whole family, the, the inner circle knows the word and can just use it. That's great. I love that. Um, <clears throat> let's talk about some more about bodily autonomy. I know, you know, as we've just been through the holiday season, this is a big thing during that time, um, but it can be any time of year. When we're with family members, extended family maybe, who wants a hug when our kids don't feel like giving one, in those kinds of situations, what, what phrases can we teach our kids to use to assert their autonomy? And we've already answered this question. We can have that family safe word that they could use with us to alert us that that we need to intervene um, in, in that situation because yeah. there are absolutely going to be times when it falls on us to make sure that um, you know they have the ability to give consent or not, or say, I don't wanna give a hug right now. Yeah, um, and I honestly, that's where I lean is, I, I start really early with, with my kiddos, um, letting them know like your words are powerful. And I, I, I say that a lot, your words are powerful. And regardless of the situation, maybe they've said something impolite to mom or they, they're talking back or they're saying something um, that I'm not okay with. I make sure they know your words are powerful and your words can hurt. But also on that same token, if we're playing a game and we're tickling and they say, stop, I stop. And then they're like, why did you stop? Your words are powerful. Um, you said to stop or you said no. Um, so we stop, we say no, we gather ourselves. Is it okay if I tickle again? Are you, is, that, is this the game we're playing or how do you feel? Um, so letting them know that. And I, I, I try to stay away from like a, a phrase for them because I want them to learn just to be able to say no. I don't, I don't want to hug or I'm not okay with hugging right now um, is where I would really push them is just to be honest and saying those things. And again, it's your safety, it's your feeling, and it's okay to not be polite right now um, if you're not okay with it. 
let me help you with some other things. And so as you work through this, I know it can be uncomfortable. You may have to have those conversations with the adult, with the child, not in the room of like why I feel this way and why I'm, I'm telling them they don't have to always be polite. Because um, that can be a really hard conversation and it can be a really hard conversation for aunts or grandmas or anybody to understand. Um, so we just have to talk it through of why, why I feel this way and why we're raising our kids this way. We, you know, we expect politeness most of the time, but when it comes to their bodily autonomy um, and how they're feeling, I want them to be honest and truthful. Um, and then you can all, always jump in and say things like, you know, um, it's okay if you don't want to give a hug. If, when you feel safe, you can do that. Or, um, you know, aunt so-and-so is always here. If you want a hug later, you can give a hug later. Would you like to high five and wave? Would you like to do that instead? Or do you just want to use your words to say goodbye? Um, you can, you know, your words are, are fun. What kind of words can we come up with? Thank you. Thank you for spending time with me. We can't wait to see you later. You know, those kind of things um, and really help them to express themselves while still, you know, keeping their body safe, but still saying, I love you and I can't wait to see you next time. Um, and and that, that develops over time. When they're little, sometimes that may look like them running away and stopping their feet and throwing a fit. But as they're eight, nine or 10, they can really start to express like, hey, I'm, I'm not a hugger, I'm not a toucher, but I love you and I wanna see you later. Um, so just working, you know your kids. And some kids are huggers too. So for some families, this is a flip switch. You have to talk to your kid about about not everybody wants to be hugged. Um, not everybody wants you in their space. And so talking to them about asking for hugs and, and learning that they don't have to have a hug just because they're family, um, it goes both ways. Yeah, that's really yeah. important. And I think it's important too, to consider that our kids change as they get older. They're, they may have been fine with hugs or we may not have considered that as parents and we may want to change what we're doing later based on their needs or how they feel. Um, and I love the idea of both kind of setting the stage. This is another instance where we kind of have to take the fall as the parent and set the stage with the other adults in our lives to say, this is what we're doing. And we they get to have the choice of how they want to interact or not. And then I love to, in the moment uh, when you're seeing that interaction happening where kids are being asked to hug or whatever it is to be able to say, you wanna give a fist bump instead, or you wanna wave or high five. I think that's um, a good way to honor what our kids are saying or not saying, but we know that they're saying um, while diffusing the situation. And then obviously having to kind of come back and address that later when they're not right there. Yeah, and it's it's important to model um, in front of your kids as you're trying to build these relationships with your kids where you're askable and they come and can come and talk to you about um, anything and everything, which is the hope, right? We want them to be able to come to us. You want to really model that and show, hey, I've got your back and I'm in your corner, even with my own mother. I'm not going <laughs> to make you hug, right? Like they don't get that until they're a little older, but they, they will eventually, and they'll see, hey, you had their back, you trusted them, and as an aunt, I sometimes forget too. And I'm like, hey, come give me a hug. And then, you know, they may say no. And I have to go, oh, they don't want to hug me. And so I have to model that for other family members of no, 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 that's okay. As they're trying to like say, no, 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 go give me a Brittany a hug. I have to be the one to say, no, 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 they said no, it's okay. You know, we can wait, we can fist bump, or I can just say bye, like it's fine. Um, so remembering to be that person as well on the flip side of it and remembering to not take it hard 
um, when your cute little three-year-old won't give you a hug, right? <laughs> it's hard, um, but you want to model it early. You want to set up yourself as that trusted, askable person who really respects their autonomy as a young person. You're so right. That is hard as an aunt to to model that well. It's a good reminder for me too. <laughs> Let's talk about when our kids get older and they are online or they have phones. There are obviously so many dangers out there now that are different than when we were kids. There are stories on the news about kids or teens being bullied online, sending photos of themselves to strangers or people they know, developing harmful relationships online. I could go on and on. So what is the most effective way we can alert our kids to the fact that these dangers do exist and hopefully ensure they will make smart decisions online? This is tough. This is tough because, I mean, it is. It's, it's where we are now and where, where we live. And I think this kind of goes back to some conversations we've had before. But the first thing I want to always encourage parents to do is treat online spaces like a physical place. Um, I know that they may feel they may feel like to you, well, they're safe in their bedroom and they're just right here, physically safe. But where are they going uh, mentally? Where are they visiting? Um, do you let your kid visit the mall by themselves and walk around? If they're not there yet, they may not be ready for online use just to go and do things without being monitored. So I really want to make sure um, parents are thinking about that. It kind of needs to be the same kind of access and responsibility um, when they're going onto the internet. Um, <clears throat> It's really important just to be thinking that through because they're meeting people, they're running into things um, that you may not be ready for them to run into. They're um, having conversations, even on online gaming, they're having conversations with strangers, things like that. Um, we really need to be aware of where they're going and what they're doing um, and monitoring that. I know a lot of parents say, that, you know, they don't want to control or have that much control, but it really is like they are visiting another place. This isn't the same as if their best friend is hanging out with them in their room, you know, and they're talking and doing kids stuff or whatever. It's, it's very different. And um, the unfortunate side of that is there, we know there are people out there looking to directly contact children and um, contact them for, for all kinds of various reasons, but usually none of it's great. Right. So we need to be aware of that. And I think the best thing we can do is prep them. Um, it can be a hard conversation to have, but if they are going to have internet access, we need to prep them to know what they may run into. Um, they don't wait for it to happen. Don't wait for them to come across something pornographic or don't wait for them to have that uncomfortable conversation with somebody they don't know. Let them know that it's out there. They, they will, as long as they are on the internet, they will come across something that gives them that ick feeling. And what's their exit strategy there? How do we get out of it there? How do I go, uh-oh, I'm seeing something I shouldn't see, or, oh, this is new, I'm uncomfortable. Because um, I think the worry is, is when young people run into something on the internet, they're then afraid to tell their parents because they think either they're gonna get her in trouble and then parents are gonna take away the device. Um, and I, I think that that's often the reaction of, oh, well, you're not old enough for this. You're clearly looking for that or you're doing this and it's mine now, you can't do this. Um, but that's why they avoid the conversation and, and coming to parents and asking, what, what do I do? Um, so setting us up as an actual person, talking them through what they are and are not allowed to do, who they are allowed to talk to, things like that. Um, before they even get 
on the internet and constant conversation, monitoring, checking in. Um, I'm not monitoring you to get you in trouble. I'm monitoring you to make sure you're safe. I'm monitoring to make sure that um, that nobody's trying to talk to you that shouldn't be, um, things like that. Um, just letting them know, letting them know that they will see something, they will hear something, they will come across something that makes them feel ick. And what do they do? And when they follow those steps, let's make sure they're not getting in trouble on the back end and taking the device. Maybe we just need to shore some things up. Maybe we just need to, um, you know, go through that app. Maybe we didn't go through that app and block different people and things. And we need to do that now. We need to work together to make sure we're safe. Yeah. yeah. We forget that part about making sure that they feel safe and comfortable coming to us. And that is hard as a parent because you want to just shut it down and you want to punish them because they're doing something you asked them not to do. Um, but you're so right that we really have to think first about that relationship and that what we want most is for them to keep coming to us if and when they have an issue that they need our help with. And I'm not saying there shouldn't be consequences. Like as a parent, sometimes you can go through and you can look and you can be like, oh, okay, you were searching X, Y, and Z and you came across this because of this and maybe help them to understand that. Um, and maybe we do need to limit access. Maybe it is a situation where we take phones. I'm not saying it's not. But I'm I'm also encouraging an open mind, an open conversation of how did we get here, what happened, um, and how can we ensure that this doesn't happen again, and let's work on the safety plan together. Um, consequences may still happen. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm just saying just be aware of our responses um, and how we react when when these things do happen. Absolutely, take those deep breaths <laughs> first. Yeah, yeah, because the reaction is, is, is the you, what? You said what to who, where, huh? And this is mine for two weeks, you know, um, or whatever. And it's, that's not really as effective as, that we're not learning anything. They're not learning how to be safe on the internet. They just learned they got grounded or they, they you know, they got their favorite toy taken away. Um, so how do we do this in a way that's effective for, for all parties involved? Absolutely. Uh, so in platonic relationships, I know oftentimes when we're thinking about kids getting older, we're thinking about romantic relationships, but friendships can be really hard for kids to navigate too. So what kinds of advice can we give our kids about what constitutes a safe friendship and what red flags should we make them aware of when it comes to their friends? I don't think it's much different. Um, I think it's very the same of how do we feel? Um, does it feel happy to be with this friend? Do you look forward to hanging out with them? Do you like being around this person? Do they make you feel good about yourself? What does it mean to be a good friend? Are you being a good friend? Are you being supportive? Are you being kind or using kind words? And, you know, kind of helping them to understand what a good friendship looks like. Um, and, and we all, I think all people, um, starts very early can be, you know, a little, a little spicy, a little angry about something. And how is that resolved? How can we, you know, can we say we're sorry and then it feels good and we move on or no, we're always going to kind of be butting heads and arguing. Um, so what, just really encouraging them, like, what, what are your feelings? How do you feel about this friendship? Do you want to play and why? Um, like if you notice. I know in our house, this has happened quite a bit where 
um, my little one will have friends over, especially over breaks for days and days in a row. And then after, you know, several days, they start to argue about everything. Um, why isn't this working? Why doesn't this feel good? Have we spent too much time together? You're not feeling good about this friendship right now. Let's take a break. And so having those kind of conversations and helping them to see that it's okay to take a break and then come back to our friendship in a week and play again and we're, we feel better. Um, it's kind of our job to help them process process through their friendships. So being aware, listening to the conversations. I know I can hear when my daughter's not being so nice uh, to her friends and starting to be a little like snippy and okay, what's going on? How do we support this friendship? Um, and then we, that way we can tell this, if, if we're always in an argument or we're always tattling, what's going on here? What, what do we do, you know, with this friendship? Do we want, we help them to process. Um, and in doing that with a platonic friendship with, you know, learning that sometimes we're just not the best friends and sometimes a little bit of rejection is, is happens and it's going to hurt. And this is how we go through that. We'll help them as they get older into, into different types of relationships that not everybody's going to be friends. Not everybody's going to like each other the same way. I love that. Again, focusing on how you feel when you are with a friend. Do you feel good about yourself? And two, I love that you flip that to say, how are you being a good friend? I think that's so smart. And it's hard. It's hard as parents to hear sometimes that it is your kid not being the good friend or not being the most polite with their friends, not using kind words. Um, but and I think it's the what's the root? Why are we not using kind words? Why as as a young person, we haven't learned to respectfully engage in conversations when I'm hungry, when I'm sad, when I'm angry. And so <laughs> it might come out in a different way. So we have to help them to address those things. And, and we're feeling this way. How do we help correct it? Yeah. We have had a lot of interest at Metro Family, probably the last six months to a year from parents looking for information on how to handle their child's first crush. So whether our child comes to us and tells us about a crush or we find out elsewhere through a friend or a sibling, what advice can you give us for navigating this new stage of life in an, a way that's affirming to our child? Oh, this is such a hard one because it, oh, it happens so early. It happens so early. I, I think I mentioned my kiddo is six and has already brought up the crush word. Um, and, and I don't know where this comes from, why it happens so early, but it can. It just um, very, very early. Um, so I think it depends on the age and stage of your kiddo, because you may not be seeing this until middle school or later for some, and some may be hearing it in elementary school, depending on, on the kids. So I think the first thing is like, what is a crush? What does that mean? Um, where did you hear that? And tell me about it. Like, you know, just, and it come with it with excitement, because with that, where to crush comes a lot of excitement. And I think as our as parents, it's it's kind of like, where'd you hear that? Like, I don't, what is that? What are you talking about? You're too little for that. But instead coming at it as, what's a crush? Tell me more, I wanna know. And then you can kind of gauge and they can, they, they may open up a little bit and tell you, you know, what that means to them and, and what they've heard and and just, and, and, and soak that in. It's, it can be hard as a parent, but remember, what does that actually look like for you know young people? What does that actually look like for a middle schooler? We've all been there. Um, we've all had these feelings. 
Um, and how can we support that? Like, what are the rules in our home? Are we, you know, depending on the age, oftentimes it's not talked about until a rule is broken because we haven't set that rule. Um, and we don't know that we have that rule until it's been broken, right? Like as parents, like, uh, I don't, we've never talked about this, but you're not allowed and now you're in trouble. Uh, so <laughs> I think it's important to really think through that. What is allowed? Are we allowed to hold hands? Are you allowed, you know, are you allowed to sit together at lunch? Are you like, what does this look like for real? And what are we okay with as your parents? Because we know it's coming. Um, we know that there's going to be crushes. We know that there's going to be feelings. It's, it's just part of life. And how can we support that while still maintaining boundaries? Um, you know, what, what, what boundaries do you need as, as a young person to feel safe? What's important to you? We have this role in our home, um, but what is your role on, with that? How do you feel? How are you going to maintain those boundaries and make sure you're being respectful of our role and your, your body and your safety? Um, so really talking that through um, as they start having crushes and feelings and um, how do you make sure you're respecting others, other people's boundaries? How do you make sure that um, you know, you're, you're being aware of how they feel? that's a really big part of the conversation can be like rejection and, and learning that like just because somebody has a crush on you doesn't mean that you have to have a crush on them and vice versa just because you really like this person doesn't mean they're going to feel the same way about you and that doesn't feel good sometimes but it's okay we we still respect boundaries we still respect people um you know i think back <laughs> i think back to to when I was, you know, a young person, and if I would have a crush, it would be like, I'm going to chase this this kid on the, on the playground, and I'm going to call him a whole lot, and I'm going to write him love letters, and I thought all the things I had to do, and I'm mortified looking back, like, I had no idea if those, if those people wanted to be chased, or tagged, or called 50 times, and, and if they wanted all the, all the, all the little love letters, and I have no idea, right, and so helping them to understand that, it may not be the same and that's okay. And helping them work through some of those feelings of rejection and learning to hear no and um, learning that other people's words are powerful and we need to respect those boundaries as well. It's it's very important part of this crush, dating, early, early puppy love, right? All of that um, can be hard to navigate. And so talking them through it, what does this look like? How do you feel safe and keep others safe at the same time? I love that. I love being excited, being curious, asking questions, trying to not like place our own judgment or expectations on the situation, but um, just being open to, to what they're going through. And I think it's, you know, as parents, I think we're often like, oh my gosh, this is way too soon. You're way too young. And I think maybe for me, reframing that to think how we start to handle this in our household is going to be the foundation of how my kids learn to have those safe relationships in life. And no, maybe this crush that they're having right now is not going to be a long-term relationship, but we can use this as kind of a stepping stone for, for what comes next and, and the relationships that they will have in the future. So that's, that's a, thank you for setting that because I need to reframe in my own brain, kind of how to, how to be aware of and ready for those conversations in my household. Yeah. 
they start real early. <laughs> it starts very early, earlier than I expected. Yeah, that is the truth. So um, I'm going to age myself and say that when I was first dating, we had to actually call each other on a landline. And normally you have to talk to the person's parent or sibling, right? Before oh, I remember. I remember them. those days. <laughs> <laughs> that is not the case anymore. So, you know, kids today, they're texting, they're chatting on social media. So there's no like opportunity sometimes for parents to get to know their child's significant other or crush or to really be aware of or alerted to any concerning behaviors. So we've kind of removed that step. How do we help our kids navigate dating in the world that's so different from when we were kids and where, you know, we are not we don't have the opportunities to be as involved maybe as the generation before. I mean, <laughs> I'm not there yet. I'm not, I, we're not there yet. Um, we haven't really had to deal with this a whole lot. Uh, not None of that yet. And I can only imagine how it's going to change in the next 10 years when we do get there and how, how much access young people have to each other without adult interactions. Um, so I think my thoughts and hopes are that uh, we have open, honest conversations about life in general, that when the time comes, um, they will choose to talk about these things with me and their, their, their dad or any other trusted adult. And I think the reality that I, I have to be okay with and, and, and kind of expressing is that I may not be that person. Like as much as we work to set ourselves up as their trusted adults, we may not be their person. And so helping them to um, really just decide who are their safe, who are their trusted adults, who can they talk to? Like, you may not be talking to me about this crush you have on this boy, but maybe your aunt over here, um, will, because we all know she's not going to tell me, right? Like, you can have those, those conversations, and it's okay for you to have those intimate one-on-one -on -one conversations with other adults where you can share, um, things about your life that you don't share with your parents. Um, and that's all right. Um, just like there's things that us as parents are not going to share with our children. Um, and so I think help, first helping them set up that network of, of their trusted adults and hopes that they do have somebody that they can go to um, for advice and for things. Um, and then also inviting that time together. I know it, it, the first instinct is to be like, oh my gosh, my kid is dating this person. What do I, I don't know if I know them and I don't like this. And, but what about inviting them in? Like inviting us into our space. Can you come for dinner? Can maybe, I'm not going to meet you the same traditional, traditional way we did it when I was, um, when I was young, but the tradition has changed now as time has changed. And what does this look like? And do we need to have a family dinner? Do we need to go out? And play putt putt together or do something and encourage that environment and I really discourage you know that intimidation that that old um dad's going to be on the front porch with, with the shot yeah. the shot <laughs> let's avoid that let's not let's not intimidate the young person that that our child is, is interested in um let's invite the conversations um and see you know what do we like do we like them how do we feel do you know how can we support our child? Maybe we don't like them, but what what are some conversations we can have um, to see where their thought process is and how they're feeling um, about everything? Because at the end of the day, if we have used those intimidation tactics and things, 
Um, they're just more likely to be sneaky, to hide, to not be as respectful. Whereas if you've invited them in, let's go, let's go to dinner, let's go grab some ice cream. Let me just take you home, you know, I'll take you to the game and bring you home or whatever. Um, those kind of things, meet them where they're at and you're going to build a relationship and there's going to be more respect and there's going to be more honest conversation on both ends. And not to paint this perfect picture, kids are still going to be sneaky and they're still going to try and get away with things and we're still going to have to be the parents. Um, but how can we be as inviting as possible in a space where we don't have as much access to their parents anymore? We don't have as much access to even them um, where our kids can can kind of navigate on their own level of, of social media and their phones and, and, and without parent involvement, how can we try and create organic relationships and be involved in other ways? Um, just, just let's invite them in. Let's invite them in. And then that doesn't say it has to be forever. We don't have to invite you in for dinner. And now we're getting married, right? It's not like that anymore. Um, we can, you know, we're having family dinner. Maybe you invite five of your friends over. Maybe you invite, you know, yourself to the football game that you normally wouldn't go to, you know, things like that um, to stay involved in their lives and be where the kids are without being invasive. Oh, that's so true. I need to take notes. We'll see. I don't have teenagers yet. We will see. That all works in theory for me. Um, I, I do have young people in my life, but no, none of my own. So we'll see how that works. Check back with me in 10 years. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I think again, just that idea of being open and being open to experiences with our kids, being curious instead of being fearful, like just for me, that attitude shift I feel like encompasses so much of what you've said. And it's just a good consistent reminder for me as a mom that in any of these situations where I feel uncomfortable or scared or worried that how can I kind of shift my perspective to think, how can I get curious about this? And yeah. So yeah. Curious and inviting and approachable. That's the, the, the goal is for us to be askable, approachable adults for our own kids. What about the other kids in their lives? What about their crushes, their friends, their friends' crushes? Things like how do we set ourselves as a up as an askable adult, not just for our own, our own home, but you know, all all the touches around us. Um, and I think I think that opens the doors for a lot of conversations and opportunity as an askable trusted adult. I love that. So as we close out our conversation today, Brittany, I want to hear more about what's coming up this year for Thrive, including your rebrand. So um, very exciting time for Thrive. We are rebranding. Um, we are have been undergoing a process to um, change our name and, and everything to, to just to be a little bit more of a better fit, to be a little bit more like, this is what we are, this is what we do. Um, so be looking for that. I, I don't have any information. I can't share with you yet what our name is going to be. Um, but if you go ahead and like us on all of our socials, all the same channels as always, thriveokc.org. Um, we're on Facebook and Instagram, Twitter, all those places. You can find us and you will get the announcement of the change coming pretty soon. I think it's going to be within the next next two months. It should be coming and we were very excited. 
That's great. You guys will continue to do fantastic work for the community under your new name. You'll be focused on a lot of the same things you already do and continue to have really great resources on your website available for parents and caregivers. Everything should stay the same. So we should have everything available. We'll still be, um, you know, having those those resources on our website and, and different things like that. Um, it should all stay the same except for the look and the name. So we're, we're just shifting a bit. That's exciting. We'll be excited to hear more. Thank you so much for joining me today, Brittany. This has been so helpful. And again, like I said, you always help me shift my perspective in parenting to be that askable, approachable adult. So I appreciate all that I have had the opportunity to learn from you. Thank you so much. It's always so much fun to come in and speak with you, Erin. And I hope this was helpful and I hope we can do it again. Absolutely. You're one of our favorites. So, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and for all, for all of our listeners, you can look for Thrive's column on talking to kids about sexual health at metrofamilymagazine.com. Thanks everyone for listening. Join us next time on Raising OKC Kids.